Hello, and thank you for joining us on Rocky Mountain Institute's podcast, where we will explore emerging and innovative pathways to transform global energy use to create a clean, prosperous, and secure low-carbon future. I'm Todd Zaransky, a marketing manager at RMI. For the second year, RMI hosted a lunch workshop at Green Tech Media's Grid Edge Innovation Summit, with this year's event titled Grid Modernization Done Right. This workshop follows RMI's The Economics of Clean Energy Portfolios report, which makes the case on how portfolios of renewable and distributed energy resources can help avoid $1 trillion of costs for new gas-fired power plants in the U.S. Here's how we frame the Grid Edge workshop. Utilities are investing tens of billions of dollars into grid modernization programs to take advantage of distributed energy resources, improve the grid's efficiency, add resilience, and make needed upgrades. At least, that's the common story. However, ubiquitous regulatory fights reveal that many stakeholders disagree that grid modernization's benefits justify the costs. At this workshop, you'll join a conversation with leading utilities, technology developers, and other experts about how GridEdge investment does or does not lower customer costs, integrate more clean energy technologies, and increase competition at the distribution edge. Our workshop was led by our own Chaz Teplin, and Chaz was joined in San Diego by Jay Oliver, General Manager, Grid Solutions, Engineering and Technology at Duke Energy, Rick O'Connell, the Executive Director at Grid Lab, and Kurt Kirkenby, Fellow Engineer, Technology Strategy at Avista Utilities. We had a tremendous turnout for the event and wanted to make the content of this event available to our network. RMI also is putting the finishing touches on our next installment of our clean energy portfolios research. So stay tuned for the Institute's most current analysis on this incredibly important topic. Lastly, we'd like to give a big thank you to Green Tech Media for allowing us to host this collaborative discussion for the second year running. With that, I'll turn it over to Chaz and grid modernization done right. Okay, everybody, I think we're gonna try and get started. You are in the uh, lunch session hosted by uh, Rocky Mountain Institute. My name is Chad Steplin with RMI, and we're going to spend some time talking about grid mod done right. Um, and I'm joined by panelists um, Jay Oliver, Rick O'Connell, and Kirk Kirkaby, um, and they'll get a chance to talk uh, in just a minute. We're going to just to give you an idea about the format. I'm going to talk for 10 or so minutes um, and give you a chance to eat. Uh, maybe I'll have your attention, uh, but it's really important that you do eat. After I talk, I'm going to give the panelists a chance to uh, chat about their thoughts for about GridMod done right. Uh, and then after that, the core is really to try and engage, engage everybody in this room to join in the conversation. And so I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to actually move your body to different places. Uh, and so that is why it's really important that you do eat during this first half of the, of the presentation. Okay, and I'd also just like to uh, hand out Jesse Shula, who's here also with RMI. She'll just be helping on some of the logistics. Briefly, uh, if you guys don't aren't familiar with Rocky Mountain Institute, we are a market-based nonprofit that's really focused uh, day in, day out on accelerating the energy transition. And we do this in two primary ways. We do research, and I'll just show a couple slides today highlighting some of the research that we do. And then we also do a lot of convening where we bring folks together. Some of you may be familiar with our eLab practice, where we really try and bring an ability to hold the space and have the difficult conversations that need to be had amongst all the different stakeholders in order to move the energy transition forward. A couple of just facts. We were founded in 1982. 
We have about 250 staff. Most of our, uh, our we have offices in Colorado, in DC, in New York, uh, and also in India and China. So we're gonna to talk today about grid modernization. It's really been the focus of the whole conference. And so I'll just throw my definition of grid mod. It's, it's new technologies that bring efficiency, that bring resilience and dynamic flexibility in order to handle variable generation and loads. Why efficiency? I mean, it speaks for itself, but there's both energy efficiency, of course, and that's uh, exemplified by optimized line voltages that just reduce kilowatt hours consumed, and also operational efficiency. Resilience and reliability has been a hot topic for a few years now, and, and there's lots of examples that folks have talked about um, in the other room throughout this, this time. And then I'll focus a little bit more on dynamic flexibility, storage, demand response, two-way power flow. And that's really important to allow the demand side to adjust to low-cost solar and wind, which I'm going to emphasize in the yeah. next slides. Yeah. Yes. Sure. I will do that. Is that better? Good. Really loud. Okay. But despite all of the exciting opportunities, um, there are a lot of cynics. So, and a lot of grid modernization uh, plans have been contentious uh, and litigated at the state level. So there's a lot of cynics and there's a lot of believers, and that's going to be one of the themes for the next few minutes and for really this whole this whole hour. So I'm going to start with the uh, the cynics case, right? So skeptics of grid modernization argue that rate-based distribution system upgrades are simply ways for utilities to secure profitable capital projects and rate-based those, um, and the realized benefits are smaller than the cost. So I'm not going to you know, justify this position with a whole bunch of data. Well, maybe a little bit of data. So this chart shows over the last decade, it shows uh, FERC-regulated utility spending. And the red bars are generation, power production, and the blue bars are delivery, delivery cost. And you can see the delivery cost share has increased by about 60% over the last decade or so. Um, but luckily for, for ratepayers, falling gas prices have kept total bills stable. The risk, though, is that if power production does not continue to fall, that rates will go up due to delivery piece. So in the centers and believers case, you know, those are the arguments for the cynics um, that, that they just don't trust the utility motivations to do a good job with grid modernization, and that the high costs are reflected in, in bills already. And now you turn to the opportunities, and to do this, I'm going to highlight the case for incorporating more renewables, which I'm going to argue is, is going to come even faster than people are already thinking it's going to come. And I'm going to do this by talking about how clean energy portfolios work, which really is relying, this is going to require a lot of uh, grid modernization in order to make this happen. So some of you are probably familiar with the report that we published about a year ago, the economics of clean energy portfolios. And the crux of our approach in this analysis is to start by just finding a list of all the proposed natural gas plants, estimating the energy service that those proposed gas plants will provide. So what, what how much energy and how much capacity and at what times. And then what we do is we take a geographically optimized approach to find the least cost combination of wind, solar, storage, demand response, and efficiency that can provide the same services as those gas plants. And finally, we just compare net present cost for the clean energy portfolio and the gas plant. And uh, this chart here shows a lit is a bar for each gas plant. 
and it just shows the total cost, the total net present cost difference between the CEP and the gas plant. And it shows that the gas plant is cost effective in a few cases at the left, the orange bars, and the blue bars are all the places where the clean energy portfolio actually comes out lower cost. So today, we already think that a lot of these generation resources, clean generation resources, are gonna be coming online really, really fast. And as to where we might be going, we created this chart here. So in this chart here, I, I took one of the plants that was in the middle of, of the cost effectiveness for the clean energy portfolio and looked at how is that gonna, how has that changed over time and where might be we headed? So the blue line is the cost for the clean energy portfolio. And we backed it out in time and said, you know, rising, as we go backwards in time, solar got more expensive, wind got more expensive, storage got a lot more expensive. And what was the levelized cost to build that clean energy portfolio? And you can see that to the left of the skinny black line, the price has been coming down dramatically, as we all know. And we can compare that to the marginal cost of operating a gas plant. So this is not apples to apples. We're comparing the cost of building an entirely new clean energy portfolio to just continuing to operate a gas plant. And today, where the black line is, you can see that it doesn't make sense to replace your natural gas plant. But you can see that the cost of the clean energy portfolio with conservative cost projections is expected to come down. And you can see that there's sort of a, a sharp bend in the line at the skinny vertical line. And that shows that prices have been coming down for clean energy really fast, but we don't assume it's gonna keep coming down that fast. We assume it's gonna take a more conservative cost trajectory going forward. But even so, the gas becomes stranded in, in a few years. So the point of this whole slide is that this is happening fast and related to this conversation, grid modernization is really gonna be needed in order to bring all of this variable generation. And I'm not gonna justify that because I feel like the whole conference has been justifying that the last couple of days. So on top of that, we have all of the other great technologies that people have been talking about today and yesterday, bringing reliability, bringing resilience, bringing efficiency benefits. Um, so I'm not gonna go through the details of this slide. The point is just that there's a strong case for a modern grid. Now leave us with, with a more balanced cynics and believers case. The benefits of grid modernization are real, but it's a complex technology discussion and the approval processes make that agreement really hard. And so with that, I'm going to uh, turn over the cynics and believers conversation and ask for insights from our panel. And then I'm gonna ask you guys to weigh in yourselves uh, in, a, in, a, in a facilitated way. So each of our panelists, uh, Rick O'Connell from Grid Lab, Jay Oliver from Duke Energy and Kirk Kirkaby from Avista. Um, I'm gonna start with Jay. And Jay, the, the question to you is, why has Grid Mod been so controversial in your experience? And what can be done to make us all believers? Great. Okay, thank you, Chaz. Yeah, so I'm Jay Oliver, uh, General Manager of Engineering and Technology at Duke Energy. And uh, I lead the organization that puts together the uh, grid improvement plans for each of the jurisdictions that uh, Duke Energy serves. We do the planning, we do the engineering, we do the capital planning and budgeting, and we do the regulatory rate case filings associated with those. In other words, we put on the case. Why should we do this work? Why does it make sense to do this work? I wish we still had that question up there, Chaz. That would help me that a lot. Yeah, that would be good. Who in this room works for a utility? Wow, a lot of people. Okay. 
Um, who has ever testified in a rate case? A lot of people. Um, is that, how much fun is that? <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun, quite exciting. So uh, I will testify in four in a 12-month period. Right, so that this has to be done in a way that makes sense. Okay, so why has GridMod been so controversial? My opinion, the utilities are not good at telling the story and in some ways um, ignored, at least in the past, very important stakeholder input. You know, I, from personal experience, some things we did at Duke, not in every jurisdiction we serve, and we serve a lot of different states and do a lot of different things, but we filed plans without a lot of input from our stakeholders in the state. And that's a mistake. And you pay for that. What we've learned now is do upfront, and RMI has helped us with this, frankly, so is do upfront workshops with stakeholders in your state that really need to have a say and deserve a say and want to have a say in the type of work that you're going to do. You're going to find your plan is better when you do that. That's what we found. And it's paid off for us, working with stakeholders up front. Now, ours have been third-party coordinated via RMI in this case. Uh, it's produced pretty good results for us. In the past, we didn't do that. Hey, we're Duke Energy. We're used to doing this. We'll go file our case, make our case. Not a good idea when it comes to grid modernization. You really need to get those external parties that are interested, get their opinions in, and try and meet them before you file the case. Do as much as you can to incorporate that. Okay, what can be done to make us all believers? A couple things I would say about where to start with grid infrastructure upgrades or grid modernization. There is Goldilocks projects, for lack of a better term. That's about, the, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. There is stuff that you should do regardless is if DER never existed, Chaz, heaven forbid. But if DER never existed, there are upgrades to the grid we should do. AMI is one of those. Volt bar optimization is another one of those. Segmenting the grid and building two-way power flow. That's another one you should do, okay? These are no regrets investments that provide very real benefits for your customers. And I can make a cost-benefit analysis case that those are justified projects. Every one of those, however, also supports the growth of DER. So start there. Start with things that you can get strong stakeholder agreement on. Because not everybody, when you bring your stakeholders in a room, this may shock you, not everybody is a DER advocate when you're trying to reach agreements on things that can make some rates go up. We serve many industrial customers. A lot of them aren't that interested in anything that causes their rates to go up. It's a direct hit to their bottom line. Their position is valid and it needs to be taken into consideration. So looking at those things, coming up with, say, the no regrets, that's where you start, that's where you get some traction. Maybe that's a way to change this, uh, you know, make us all believers. Sorry, I went too yep. long. That no, means I went too long. All right. Well, let's pass it over to Rick. Okay. <laughs> Rick knows I go too long. <laughs> so Rick O'Connell is the executive director at GoodLab. So same question to you, Rick. Great. Thanks, Chaz. You know, when I signed up for this thing, you said it was a lunch thing. And now it's like, how come we don't get to eat? I'm like, that's not fair. 
Uh, I'm going to stand up, too, because that seems more comfortable. So, you know, Jay mentioned this word stakeholders. Uh, so that's who I represent. So GridLab, I'm the executive director of GridLab. We're a nonprofit that provides technical expertise in these complex grid cases. So we're the people filing reply comments uh, in, in, his, in his testimony. So we're currently active in the last two years. We've worked on 15 grid modernization cases around the country, mainly in the Midwest and in the Southeast. So this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. And I think, you know, I, as an environmental NGO, come from a perspective of carbon. And so carbon is what I care about. And I think a thorny issue that we've been wrestling with is if you care about carbon, why do you care about grid modernization? Why do you care about DER? And it's actually, you know, it sounds like an easy question. Well, of course you should care about it, but it's not that, it's not that simple. And I think the real answer that we've come up with that I think Chaz articulated really well in his clean energy portfolios is that if we're going to get more variable generation on the bulk grid, uh, we need more flexibility from the distribution system, and we need the flexibility that DER writ large, which isn't just solar, right? It's EVs, it's demand response, uh, it's storage, it's all those nice things provide. And if we're going to get all that stuff on the distribution grid, you know, and then this, all you, all, all of you here at this conference, you know, are some part of this, right, food chain, some part of this business, right? we actually need this enabling technology on the distribution grid, right? Because the distribution grid's been this sort of dusty, forgotten corner of the utility world where, you know, my joke is always like, if you were the engineer that got too drunk at the, at the party, they would like move you over to the distribution. You know, they're oh, sorry, you're not in t Ops anymore, buddy. <laughs> you're gonna have to go down to distribution. You've been demoted. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, distribution grid is sexy, right? It's, there's all this great stuff that's happening, but that requires money. And we, I think, you know, the, the commissioners, regulators, and advocates and other stakeholders that I help, you know, parse this issue, right? They're generally skeptical of utility investments because utilities are, you know, capital biased entities. And we need to figure out like what investments make sense, right? What investments do enable the DER? What, what is gonna turn the distribution system into a platform that lets this ecosystem thrive? Uh, and what investments are frankly stupid, right? You know, what's dumb, you know, what's dumb grid mod and what's, what's smart grid mod? And I think Jay did a good job of talking about, you know, there's enabling software, there's, there's things that make a lot of sense, you know, kind of no regrets investments. But these, these cases are really complicated. I mean, to give you an example, SCE, the commission just ruled on SCE's, I don't know, I think it was close to a billion, uh, multiple billion dollar grid mod. Um, and that was three years after the initial filing. You know, so there's thousands of hours of testimony and thousands of pages of testimony. And like, these cases are long and complex and they're big dollar amounts. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I been involved in the in Jay's work and I think that Duke's done a, a really good job of sort of moving from you know a bunch of those demoted distribution engineers in the basement coming up with this plan and not doing a great job of explaining like why we need these widgets to a much better approach of like explaining okay here's why we need to enable this technology you know so I don't know am I a cynic am I a believer I guess well right now I'm pretty cynical because I'm hungry and I think I feel like <laughs> Well, but I think I'll, I'll pass it on to Kurt. Great. So, uh, like, the question was, uh, what makes it controversial? And, and I'm, I'm going to be kind of an anomaly because I'm from the Northwest, and we're pretty collaborative, and it hasn't been controversial. 
So, uh, but I'm, but I'm going to say that that's probably because we started with meetings around what it was that we were going to do, and that those were meetings with staff, those were meetings with commissioners, those were open meetings, and then we constantly held update meetings throughout the progress of, of building the project. But even taking a step back, we built it because the business case was extremely good. We didn't do it just because we have distribution systems and could do it and put it in rate base. We did it because the business case was 19% rate of return. The hurdle rate for us is seven, roughly seven and a half. So that's a pretty darn good rate of return. Now the controversial part is probably more of an internal controversial part with respect to that. And that is that it's all around energy efficiency. Okay, we, we modernized the grid, made it much more effective, much more, uh, so we reduced revenue because we reduced loads and we reduced losses. That paid for the entire thing at 19%. Pretty cool. But the hardcore engineers, oh, that's just lost revenue. You just lost us a bunch of money. To which my response and the company's line is really, we have plenty of stuff to spend money on to put into rate base. We could never catch up to all the things, just like roads that are being maintained. All roads don't look great. That's because there's a backlog. Well, we have that same backlog. So why wouldn't we take care of things that we can take care of and put the money into reducing that consumption for our customers, making the system more effective, which does what? It also increases our capacity. And oh, by the way, if we have DERs, we've just enabled a lot more penetration of those DERs and better utilization of our system. In addition, we've put all this sectionalizing capability and increased the reliability for no extra cost. Everybody wins, uh, the losses go down. There's nobody in that situation at, that loses. Now, you have to get over that revenue, loss revenue challenge, but, but I, I'd argue that it's not really a real argument. There's lots of ways to handle that. We actually decoupled rates, um, which helped with that as well if there was a, a challenge. Great, thanks guys. So. It's now time to uh, hopefully put down your forks and knives um, and actually uh, stand up. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand up for this next exercise and find somebody that you do not know to have a conversation. So please, everybody, stand up and find somebody that you do not already know. Yes, yes, panelists should be included in the conversation. Okay. Okay, wait, we still need, we still more instructions. <laughs> so, so the instructions are to find out the first name of each of you, right? And whoever is first in the alphabet, you are a believer. If your name is second, if your first name is second in alphabetical order, you are the cynic. We're gonna have the, we're gonna have the cynics go first and spend three minutes explaining to the believers why Gridmod is bound to be an expensive, ineffective, and contentious failure. So again, cynics go first and explain to your partner why Gridmod will be an expensive, ineffective and, ineffective, and contentious failure. You have three minutes for that conversation, okay? Can everybody please quiet down now? And I, I'd like to I'd like to hear from a few folks. What I'm going to start with is I'm going to ask the ask the believers for a few examples of cases that cynics made that had you almost convinced. 
So I'm looking for volunteers of folks that were believers, and they're going to tell me, they're going to tell, the, tell all of us all the case that the cynics made that kind of had them starting to agree. Do I have any volunteers? Well, um, I had Anne here tell me how, uh, along with the grid modernization efforts that are maybe really necessary to integrate the DERs, utilities often may put in big dollar costs that are not really that necessary to integrate the, that amount of DER. An example she gave was grid hardening. I am not exactly sure what that means, but I'm going to believe her. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a very fair point, um, that the big dollar costs, we need to make sure that there aren't ones that are necessary, we make sure there's only the ones that are really necessary, and that we're not really getting these hard, big costs in that ultimately go back to the rate payer, make it more expensive to get into the ERs, and are kind of counter, um, you know, against the point. Thanks. Anybody else? Any other, any other believers whose cynics made a really great case? Don't be shy. Folks in the back, Jesse. Yeah, great. So, uh, apologize for getting in. So, Tara, um, as the cynic, um, she talked about how utilities have a bit of a checkered past when it comes to um, deploying capital in complex, innovative new areas. And um, she talked about um, that. You know, she doesn't really believe in the current regulatory regime will stimulate that expense. She, she understands and believes that grid modernization can yield benefits, but doesn't think it's necessarily the place for the utility to take the leadership position, you know, particularly with innovative companies out there that are doing, uh, doing things and, and, and looking at things in novel, um, different ways. Great, thanks. Who else wants to report? Any, what, other, whoever, what other believers want to report the uh, cynical cases that were made? There must be more. Yeah, so I've been doing this for a while, and I never heard this argument, but that was a good one, and that is that, uh, you know, there's munis and co-ops and sort of non-IOUs that are sort of like, well, why do we care? You know, we don't really want to deploy capital. We don't really want to upgrade the grid. We don't need to. We can do, we'll do it next year. So I thought that was an in interesting new argument that I hadn't heard. Awesome. Thanks. Okay, so we'll, we want to finish this exercise on a more positive note. So cynics... <laughs> what cases did believers make that, uh, that you really found convincing? So looking for volunteers from Cynics to report what they heard from believers that made a great case. Don't be shy now. So Trinder made a really good case here. He's, he's also a playwright, so he was just uh, profound. Uh, he said there were three pillars, um, you know, the physical layer, the regulatory layer and the economic layer, and that though they hadn't come together yet because, you know, people are fighting against the regulation, as is said, or people are making bad economic arguments that uh, common sense will prevail and that uh, in certain areas, perhaps like uh, New Mexico or other places where they're trying to go like 100% daytime solar by 2022, that the momentum will, will shift and that uh, the pillars will come together and that uh, grid modernization will work. Awesome. Who else? How about some folks in the back? There must be some folks in the back that, that want to volunteer. Great cases made by the believers. Well, basically what was introduced was the idea of grid hardening and the fact that uh, outages would be reduced, so better reliability for the customer. And also the fact that by being able to go green, there are health benefits that will outweigh 
the extra cost, which won't occur, like there are will occur, because you will have to pay more to harden the grid and make it uh, more modern. But the long-term range is that you're going to get better quality of life. Great. Anybody else? Or love to hear from another cynic. Great. Jazz, I'm a, a, a cynic, but I was impressed by Kurt's statement about uh, Avista, which has some of the lowest energy prices in the in the country in the world, and that he was still able to make his business case around um, uh, reduction in losses. And one of the things that uh, I, I think is important to bear in mind is that when you look at a lot of the Western utilities, there are miles and miles and miles of distribution lines. And I think that's very interesting, and it often gets overlooked as far as the benefit from the losses of the systems and the gains that can be made by Gridmont. And actually, I'm a plant for Kurt, so I'm not really a cynic. <laughs> awesome. Any other cynics they want to report? Yeah, so um, Kip mentioned, um, especially in California, the issue of resilience, specifically as it relates to end users. So potentially the benefit of enabling technologies to um, serve critical loads when and if we as utilities are managing wildfire risk by potentially temporarily um, you know, reducing services in some areas. So, it clearly is a case where there's and the right integration makes sense. Great, thanks. Okay, I think we have a few minutes left. No one from Green Tech Media is yelling at me, so that's good. So the last exercise is to uh, what we call a sociogram. So uh, this is supposed to be a picture of the room. My request of you is to, to physically move and stand to the general area where you think the best case for grid modernization is made. So over here is the reliability and resilience. Sort of over in this corner over here is operational and energy efficiency. And then towards the back corner would be uh, flexibility for clean technologies. And it's okay to stand, you know, not all the way in one space. So if you, if you feel like you're along one of the axes, you can, but it's a cop out to stand in the middle. So. We're going to start over in the flexibility for clean technologies. Jesse will bring the microphone. If I could get a volunteer from that corner to say why they stood over there. Why does flexibility for clean technologies make the best case for grid modernization? We need a spokesperson for flexibility for clean technologies. Who's that going to be? Yeah, so why are we in this corner? Because uh, we believe clean energy really drives policy mandates and customer expectations. So I think uh, efficiency and reliability are strong trends, but they are progressive incremental trends. Uh, clean tech is uh, as an absolute step jump in requirements for the grid. So it does cause a step ju jump in, uh, in transformation. Great, thanks. Anybody else from this corner want to make the case for flexibility? It's interesting, the room's pretty evenly spread out. I'll come over here to the reliability and resilience section. Anybody want to make the case for reliability and resilience? <laughs> there must be someone willing to, to speak up for reliability and resilience. I'm going to choose somebody. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay. 
So I picked reliability and resilience um, because I'm in the uh, hurricane region and our customers are very disappointed when they don't have their power restored. So it's a focus area for us. So I've heard similar thoughts from folks uh, in Hurricane Sandy's path. So, yeah. And then uh, I think we'll finish with uh, folks in the operational and energy efficiency side. Who wants to make the case? <laughs> I'll make the case this way, that if you do this first, you get all the rest for free. <laughs> excellent, excellent. The cost savings pay for everything else, perhaps, yeah. Okay, everybody, thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, we need to give you a couple minutes to make it back to the, the full session, but thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Rocky Mountain Institute's podcast. To our listeners, thank you as well. As a nonprofit organization, our work is made possible by bold partners and the support of people like you. We welcome your suggestions on what you'd like to see covered in future podcast episodes. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, as well as at rmi.org. Stay tuned for a new episode of RMI's podcast coming to you soon. And thank you again for listening.